Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. From the studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, do you see what I hear? Singer, songwriter, slow diver, Neil Halstead is with us. Welcome. to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film with you here every week on Murmur. You can hear us live and you can also also hear us evergreen on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We have a website, murmurradio.com. We have a social handle. Social handle is at msfmurmur. That's Twitter, Instagram, we have Facebook. We probably have other things. <laughs> I should, I would know, I should know. Uh, we have the Mothership website, which is modernschoolfilm.com. For all our comings and goings, we will be in London the last week of May to talk to Donnie Yen about the state of martial arts filmmaking. We will also be the following week in Chicago to talk to Christopher Guest part of our In Pictures series, part of the Onion Comedy Festival. And we'll be elsewhere coming up. Um, Nothing to confirm right this second. Nothing I can announce right this second. So check us out. MurmurRadio.com, ModernSchoolFilm.com. Welcome back to Murmur. Welcome to Murmur. Today on the show is Neil Halstead. Uh, Neil is uh, the front person to stay correct in our gender assignment is the, well, I guess the front man, the front person for Slow Dive. I wonder how many of you have heard of Slow Dive, and that'll rock us a little bit into what we want to cover today with Neil and with you before. Neil will be on the show. Uh, This was part of an event, um, a live broadcast of Murmur. So we're going to play you the, the portion of the live broadcast where we talk with Neil via Skype. Neil was in Southern England in Cornwall at the time, so we'll play that for you. Now, how many of you, raise your hand, don't lie, have heard of Slow Dive? Yeah, okay, I figured I'd get that reaction. The reaction is, I've kind of heard of them. I mean, I 
I knew of them. I've, I've known of them for a few years. But if you're hearing about them for the first time again, it's kind of a really beautiful, interesting thing. Simply because they're back. Now, back, let's define that a little bit. Their last record was 22 years ago. They, they, the, the different band members have done other things, but this is the original imprint of the band, Slow Dive, back on the road. Neil Halstead has been the face of, of the band. It's not a band that has a face in a sense. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with Neil's face, but uh, it's not a it's it's not that kind of band. It's a it's a it's a wonderful. It's part of that very visceral, almost meditative genre. The genre they were on the front lines of. You you can maybe say they were the mother and the father of shoegazing. The shoegazer genre. We'll cover shoegazing a little bit. I didn't want to overcover it just because I I don't. It's not really interesting in this within this context to talk about that. Seems a little temporal to discuss with Neil, uh, but we do, we do discuss it uh, in a roundabout curvature. So they're back after 22 years, uh, and it doesn't seem like in that time they, there was anything combative. They simply decided to do other things. So now they're back on the road, and the tour has been doing incredibly well. It's sold out, I think, in in about ninety percent of the venues. It's it, they're only I don't know how many their shows they're doing, but most everyone is sold out. I think the occasional one is not sold out, which brings us into our kind of active thought for the week. <laughs> I don't know how to say that without sounding like a group leader. <laughs> um, the active thought is, you know, it's really interesting when, maybe I'm getting old and less romantic, but when I, when new bands, or both, when new bands or new filmmakers or, or when filmmakers, rather when filmmakers and bands come back into the public conversation, and I don't mean that necessarily as a compliment or an insult, agnostically said the public conversation, even the even a public conversation that has has intelligence assigned to it. I, I nowadays I'm thinking, you know, what where, where how are they gonna hook back in? How are these bands and filmmakers coming back? How are bands gonna hook back in? And that was on my mind with with Neil, because twenty two years spans obviously spans multiple decades, but technology changes you know, so swiftly, this just in. But not only that, the whole, I mean, when you really think of 22 years ago, 1985, oh my gosh, it, it's extraordinary. Sorry, 1995. Um, equally extraordinary, 1995, how many swerves have been plotted on the graph of not only technology but mindsetism i was thinking and i was wondering you know how how do they even market themselves now i mean you, you almost have to market yourself after 22 years as a new band and it, i guess it really depends you know the, the man the conversation on a management side would have been really interesting who is our audience because they didn't have a huge audience when when they last recorded they had an informed audience, and I think their music is incredible, but it wasn't a mass audience. So now, what's the strategy? Do you go back towards a mass audience? Do you find your base, your 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 base that's 22 years now, senior, what they were, et cetera, et cetera? It, it's challenging, and the way they've devised it has been 
curious, uh, and I, I mean that in a good way. They, they, they have a lot of the ad, ad mats. That's the technical term, an ad mat. I love that. I learned that this year. The ad advertising material is sort of splitting the difference. They're having older pictures of the band in new postures, you know, new contexts. They're having the new record adjacent to an older picture. So I think they're doing it in a really interesting way. It's not easy. You know, we're, we're living in this marketing world now that I often compare to the Wild West. I think we're back to Thomas Edison in many ways in terms of marketing. Edison, as polarizing a figure, I think one thing we can all agree on with Edison, Thomas Edison, is he did things for maximum effect. If you look at some of the early Edison short films, you know, a typical one was a, a man with a defined abdomen undulating his abdomen or a woman, a gypsy woman dancing, many scarves, or uh, cats. There was, there's actually one of kittens in a ring <laughs> boxing. I mean, kittens in a ring, that's a whole YouTube channel. <laughs> I think there is a YouTube channel, kittens in a ring. So, you know, it's that thing we talk about, come see what I'm doing, then I can show you what I'm doing. I don't know if enough people get turned on by the existence of something. It's got to be, you know, as Kramer said, you you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. You've got to get them to the place. The noise is too thick now to simply suggest that the why you're doing it is as interesting as how people are going to find out about it. People have to find out about it. And something podcasts are suffering from. Our show we do live and then we bank it. But, you know, the model for podcasts, they had a, you know, recently on Family Guys, a funny episode where Kramer, Kramer, sorry, Peter and Quackmeyer got my my um, spaces mixed up. Um, the guys are trying to devise a podcast and Peter says paraphrasing but oh you know it's it's a it's a it's a platform that makes no money and it's impossible to find yeah that sounds like a great idea so yeah i mean that's the model but you know music still making some money but not a, you know not every band is making a lot of money i mean for slow dive to go back on the road they have to be a working person's band so it's not as elementary as it seems watson um just before we bring in Neil, what's what's always really sanguine to me and, and melancholic, I remember I started teaching filmmaking, a very hardcore kind of workshop uh, with filmmakers and actors and producers, and it was around 2000, I'm trying to think when it was, so 2005 actually, and at the time, uh, I do, I remember very specifically that Terrence Malick's new film the New World was coming out. And what was interesting about that is that was Malick's return to filmmaking, quote-unquote. So he had only made three films up until then. And I would show students parts of Badlands or Days of Heaven and say, oh, you know, and they would love the, those bits. And, they, and I would say two things. This filmmaker has a new film out, and they would get really excited about that. But also this filmmaker has only made four films <laughs> in, in, you know, 34 years. Uh, no, well, a little, 30, 32 years, what Badlands was 1973. So uh, that was interesting. But Malik has, so Malik obviously was the sort of hermited figure. 
And that was part of the cachet and the mystery and the energy. But now he makes films, makes a lot of films now. <laughs> Slow down, Terry. <laughs> you know, he made uh, Tree of Life, sort of, well, New World fixed him back. And then Tree of Life was six years later. So there was definitely, an, there was another absence, a more modest absence. But after the Tree of Life, there was To the Wonder, uh, Knight of Cups, uh, he has a documentary coming, The Voyage of Time. And, and what's interesting about those films, a lot of them were made simultaneously. So he's feeling it. But what is really curious to me about his liftoff or his reentry back into the Earth at, Earth's atmosphere is he's had to get these films out. Now, Malik is one of those rare instances where the filmmaker has such a cut such a large swath in terms of so many lovers of his films historically. And then those film lovers spread the word to students. So there was a whole new generation ready for Terrence Malick films. But now the Faustian bargain is, now Now, do you want to stay there? You, you, you're, you're back in that system. Now you have to market to that system. Now Malick, again, doesn't firmly do that as as other filmmakers have, like, let's say, Marty Scorsese or other filmmakers, other venerable filmmakers who have stayed in the system, Spielberg. Um, But Lucas, but Lucas is, you you can make the argument he's not a filmmaker as such. But Malick is now back in this thing. And, you know, it's funny, he had never made public appearances for many years. Photos of him, you know, were were sort of scarce. and, And the way he looked was relegated to how his cameo in in uh, Badlands. But I, I remember 2016, so not too long ago, he made a public appearance at the, at the Garden Theater in Princeton to talk about Rossellini's uh, voyage to Italy. And it was fast. I didn't get to go. Unfortunately, I wasn't in the area at the time. But it was news just that he was going to be there. And he was again at, at South by Southwest this year with Michael Fassbender doing a Q&A. So, you know, when when the when the um, Sasquatch, when the Yeti sits down for tea with you, is he is he or she is interesting? You know, when the when the lawyer when the caveman lawyer is unfrozen, is is he is interesting to you? It's key rock, your honor. Um, so Neil Halstead and Slow Diver back. Are they excited about it? What are they tapping into? I love their music, and hopefully that's enough. So Neil's with us on the show today. First, this. That was superb, that, lads. It really was. I've not seen a reaction in here like that since George Best got kicked out for glassing a bouncer. But I know how you can be better like that. Go on, then. Simple. You employ me. You play, I manage. We all get stinking rich and famous and go and buy fucking great big houses in Cheshire. Jobs are good in. And who are you? Rob Gretton. I already manage a couple of bands, but between you and me, they couldn't sniff the sweat round your bollocks. You lot are something else. I hold my hands up. I am a believer in Joy Division. Fucking hallelujah. I'm also resident DJ here, which means I know anyone of any music biz use anywhere in this city. I'll have you lot sign within the month. In fact, I guarantee it. We've already got a manager, haven't we, lads? Who's that then? Fucking me. What's your name, mate? Terry. 
Teddy what? Teddy Mason. Teddy Mason. Tez, you mind if I call you Tez? Tez, you know jack shit about this business. You wanna know how I know? Cause I haven't heard of you. I bet you haven't even got a fucking telephone, have you? Didn't think so. So you're gonna book gigs and cut deals without a phone, you daft cunt? No offence, I call everyone that. Look, I've got to pack up my gig. Ring me. Rob's records, Rob speaking. All right, Ian. Yeah, good, yeah. Well, that's fucking brilliant, Ian. Well, I'll speak to you later, then. You've got to sign with Factory. Come on, this isn't an issue. We're a fresh and exciting label. You're a fresh and exciting band. And, most importantly, we both fly the flag for the Republic of Manchester. I don't give a fuck about that. I'm a royalist. I suppose they're Nazis as well. We're not Nazis. What about the money? It's 50-50 on the profits. You own all the publishing rights and can walk away at any time. You're serious? Rob, I don't fuck about with talent I want to work with. I'll even sign the contract in my own blood if it'll make you happy. We'll speak later, then. Now, remember, we are live, so no swearing or they will cut you off. What about arse? What? Is arse a swear word? Arse, yes, it's a swear word. No, it's not. Third word. Out there, I know arse isn't a swear word. Here, in TV land, arse is most definitely a swear word. You trust me. I know all about swearing in TV. I'm a master of knowing when I can and when I can't. What about Big Dog's cock? Can you say that? A new royal family of wild nobility. We are the family! A new royal family of wild nobility. We are the family! Dates, um, 1995. I think it was February 1995. Neil can correct me. Um, Pig Pigmalion comes out. Um, okay, that's date one. Date two, January, early January, maybe the 24th of 2014. Um, uh, a social media posting occurs. 
And we know that nothing is real until it's on social media. Like if you eat something and you don't take a picture of it, there's no calories until it's posted on social media. The third date is actually May 5th of this year because we have a new record out uh, and it's, uh, we, it's been a long time and in no time at all. Slow Dive is back. Um, and leading the charge are, uh, is their, their chief uh, singer, songwriter, force of nature. Uh, the tour is going to come through these parts. It's going to come through Carver, the Cat's Cradle. But we're happy to hear, have him here on Murmur to talk about time and cinema and song, Mr. Neil Halstead. <laughs> Neil, how are you, man? Hi. I'm good, thank you. Can you hear me okay? You sound like you're in a cave somewhere. But when... <laughs> I think it'll be okay. If you can't hear something, just say, yes, I agree, totally. That, that's the default uh, option. Um, thank you, man, for being with us. Are you in the States now? I, I'm at home in, in, in the UK, in, in Cornwall. It's, um, it's quite late for me here. It's like midnight, uh, half 12, actually. I've been to Cornwall. It's stunningly beautiful. I, I know it typically becomes magnetized in the summertime because there's so, so, you know, I always think of every day as like Sunday. Uh, whenever I think of Cornwall, uh, for better or for worse, but right. what, what is Cornwall? <laughs> you know, how would you? What's the equivalent Cornwall in the United States? You know, Cape Cod. What is Cornwall to you? Yeah, maybe it's. Um, I suppose actually, for, for me, Cornwall was was a little slice of California in, in England because I, I, I moved to California twenty. I moved to Cornwall twenty years ago. Wow, having learned to surf in California and I, I needed somewhere to surf in, in England and so I ended up moving down here 20 years ago and it, it has a brilliant coastline it has a fantastic fantastic beaches and lots of very nice little fishing villages and, and isn't, isn't that where Cornish you know, I, that's Cornish hen right Cornwall is Cornish hen am I am I reappropriating Cornish hens as Cornwall based I think I think you you might get Cornish hens here. I think it, it's probably more more famous for like pasties. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, there's fishing, one thing yeah. that comes out of Cornwall. What is that thing? What is that culinary native Cornwall thing? <laughs> but it, it's it's uh, it's a meal they used to take to the the, the mines. I mean, there was a lot of mining in Cornwall, so it was a it was like the leftovers of the dinner the night before, wrapped in pastry. Basically, and that, that that became a Cornish pasty, and they're great. Yeah, it, it's it's really lovely. You know, um, this was a bit of a ruse. I I wanted you to come on the show not to talk about you and slow dive. I want to know where's Harriet Wheeler? Um, where 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 are the Sundays? I'm waiting for the next Sundays I, album. Do you know Harriet? Have you? Do you know where, what happens? I, well, oddly enough, she she grew up on the same road that I grew up on. She's from she's from Sonning Common, which is where both Rachel and I grew up. And her mother taught us English at school. She taught us English literature. But Harriet was a few years older than us. Um, and I don't know where she lives now. I know that when when the when her band were doing really well, I think they were living in Bristol. But I don't know yeah. what happened to them after. It's a great record. I love that. Oh record. my goodness! Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm uh... Uh, an ex-girlfriend made me a mixtape and threw the Sundays on there. It's funny, you know, there is such a kind of effervescence, and I hate these labels like shoegazing and dream pop, but there is something about, 
I don't think Amer American artists really, really touched that sound, that ephemeral thing, you know, and, and really before the 90s, no one in the UK, I guess, you know, Brian Ferry and Eno and those guys were doing a kind of atmospheric piece, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I suppose for us, it was like the influences were, were bands like the Cotto Twins and, but also Sonic Youth, you know, so it was, yeah. and Dinosaur Junior and like Pink Floyd and Jesus and Mary Chain and The Birds, you know, so I think there was always, there was as many sort of American influences in, um, in, in you know, the, the stuff that influenced us anyway, for, for sure. But I, I suppose the, the dreamy side of the the boat was, you know, it, it was maybe more, more, yeah, more kind of Eno-esque and more kind of Cocteau Twins and more... Um, right, right. You know, bands like A.R. Kane, for instance, or Daruti Column, you know, slightly... Um, slightly kind of uh, not, am not ambient but a bit like kind of dub and stuff like that as well. well well they say the best revenge is having a guitar pedal named after you and you know shoegazing there's a shoegazer guitar pedal am I <laughs> yes sir I you, didn't even know that yeah there's a guitar pedal <laughs> for just simply for that sound and you know, and I hate throwing yeah. that. You know, there's actually a wonderful photo of you, um, and you're doing anything but gazing down. It's a really cool. I don't know if you've seen this promo photo. It's you and the group. It's slow dive, and you're gazing noticeably straight up. And I thought, well, that's a way to thumb your nose at that idea. But it's funny. A lot of a lot of the ethos of of your of your of the origins of slow dive, like Jesus and Mary Chain, have a new record out. Lush yeah. Lush had an album out last year, and there is. There is a kind of, you know, I mean, it's not like you stopped recording. <laughs> you know, it's not like you were frozen caveman for 22 years. You kept recording, right? Um, yeah. Do you think there's yeah. too much being made of Slow Dive being back, or is just, just a, you know, a miracle that you're back as Slow Dive? <laughs> I don't think it's a miracle, but we're, I mean, I suppose for us, like getting back together in 2014 was, um, I mean, we we did it essentially because we wanted to make make a record, and we, I, I suppose, we all thought we were at this point in our lives where we could kind of do that. And um, and doing the shows in 2014 was great, and it was it was kind of it, for us it was a way we kind of got to meet this new audience that we yeah. didn't yeah. really realize we had until we put the band back together. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was kind of, and, and it was a sort of, it's it, it like all the gigs were kind of quite joyous in a way because it was almost like you're sharing this experience with this um, with this audience, both new and older fans as well. Well, it's amazing how big the audiences um, are, and and you know, I was thumbing through your uh, your Twitter because that's obviously where I get all of my information. Um, right. <laughs> that's, okay. I hope that's a joke. Um, uh, and the audiences are huge. And actually, Rachel um, said, you know, these were audience sizes you couldn't have dreamed of. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's the irony. Of, it's kind of cool. Like, going away 22 years and coming back is a great uh, move. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of well, fun to be, uh, you know, meet new people and meet a new revolution and a generation of yeah. music lovers, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we honestly couldn't have imagined it. I mean, when when the band when we sort of you know when the band sort of disintegrated after we put out Pygmalion, which was you know sort of conf- confused our record label, it confused our fans, and and I think in some ways it probably confused us as well. But it it we were kind of at a low ebb, you know. We we were playing shows to sort of two hundred people if we were lucky, and we we were never a, a very big band even even at our height, you know, we were always this kind of small cult band. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're still a kind of a cult band, but we have a, a larger audience at this point. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's it's sort of weird and, and sort of interesting and, and kind of nice for us that we can go out and play shows now and and still have an audience and the, the music still resonates in some way with, with people. Well, the, the, and it's exciting for us to have a new record coming out, obviously. And, and the, the first of all, not to bury the lead, the, the record is amazing. I, I, I was playing one of the, the, the tracks here and it's gorgeous. I, I've had it for about a month and I was joking with one of your publicists that I, you know, I just can't get off the first song. You know, when an album is so good, you, right. you it's really good. I'm just not saying that quite frankly. Cool. It might be cool, um, you know, it's cool to see the post. I was looking at your tour poster. There's a lot of places that have sold out, man. I would imagine at your shows now, there is a really interesting mixture of people who knew you and loved you and people who are kind of, oh, I, I like I want to go because sometimes a fan, as a fan, I know for me, I, going to a, maybe I'm old, but going to a concert, it's kind of like a like an investment, like a physical investment and a time investment. So when you yeah. go to your shows, who goes to your shows now? Are, are the diehards coming or are the new kids coming? Who's in the audience at your shows? I, well, I, I think it's it's both, but. I, you know, I mean, we, you know, we played some shows a couple of weeks ago. We did a little tour around the UK and some shows in Europe. And I mean, it literally is like from 16 up to, you know, people our age in the, you know, early 40s or late 30s. And, um, you know, I met a 16 year old kid who was there and he'd brought his mum, <laughs> who was a shoegaze, you know, she was a Fodai fan back in the day you know so it's we have this we have a couple of generations in the audience which is really um it's just it's great you know it's kind of um um not something we would have expected i, I suppose we we were quite young when we made the record yeah so it, um, well i think that, that you know and it, it's kind of it's Sorry. No, I was gonna say people. You were you were nineteen. The first record you you guys were you were nineteen years old. Uh, and you, yeah, well, you yeah, were. Yeah, I mean, I was the yeah. oldest, and I was I was nineteen. Everyone else was like eighteen. You know, it's. Um, you were the old man at nineteen. It's stunning. I, <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, the, it, it a year of that age made a big difference. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, believe me, my brother reminds me of that all the time. He's a year older than me. Um, but also, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you and, but you and Rachel had known each other since you were children. I mean, literally five and six years old. Um, yeah, we, were, we grew up in the same you know, village and we went to the same schools together. We knew each other yeah, from five, six years old. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, it's interesting some of the press material for the tour... It's really interesting. I was thinking, I wonder how Neil feels about this. The post, some of the posters are of you all 
in your day, in a sense. Like, you know, there's one, I'm looking at literally one poster now where it's you from the 90s advertising a show that's now. How do you feel about, is that kind of, is that strange that, 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 that you know, again, the marketing is the marketing, but that's, you know, to, to see, hey, this, this isn't who you're seeing. <laughs> but you, does that feel uh, at all awkward or is it kind of fun and? It, well, it, it 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 does at this point. I mean, when we when we started doing the shows in 2014, we sort of made a deliberate choice not to do any press, really. And we've only, we only just did some more press shows, so like literally um, a few months ago. So yeah, it, it it got to the point where it was like this is a bit weird because <laughs> you know everything's being advertised with these pictures of us at, at 18. You know. Which is quite nice, and in some ways you you prefer that as a sort of a, as a middle aged man now. I, I kind of you know we're, we're not we're not that excited about having press. At this point. Yes, but right. yeah, you have to be realistic as well. So um, yes, yeah. When when I when I hand out my business cards, they're always of me as a fifteen year old boy. I so I know. It's very important to remain evergreen. I'm um, speaking with uh, Neil Halstead <laughs> here. It's funny, 2014, um, the first gig back, which was a really an invitation of sorts, uh, was to play in. It was a, it was Barcelona, correct? Um, the Primavera. Yeah, the Primavera. Primavera. And, yeah. and it was a really cool bill, and I and I was thinking, you know, the Pixies were on that bill, Arcade Fire, and I was wondering, you know, there's so much talk about how do fans think about Slow Dive coming back, but I was wondering how have other musicians received you, and I mean that in a good way, you know, like the Pixies, like Charles is such a music freak, you know, in the arcade, these these are bands that know they they cherish. The, the timeline that you're on. What, what has been the fraternity and sorority around your coming back? Have musicians embraced you? Have you interacted with many contemporaries uh, around your, your, your revival? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely a few. I mean, I did definitely, uh, Arcade Fire was one of the bands that we were chatting to when we did Primavera, and I guess we were you know, because we we were all big arcade fire fans, so we were kind of really excited to know that they were sort of you know slow dive fans, and we we met them there. And um, but yeah, I mean it, it's weird. I, I met like Ethan from Crystal Castle not so long ago, and I didn't realise that they were kind of influenced by slow dive. And you know, so occasionally you'll meet these meet people on the road, or you know, bands that you're kind of into. I met like, uh, Tycho recently and he he was saying he'd named his album Dive because he was a slow dive fan and weirdly I just started listening to one of his records like the month before and um, yeah it, 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 I think for us it's always a slightly strange kind of thing we're still not kind of you know there was a tribute album that came out in the early 2000s by More Music which is a, sort of an electronic label and um, it was like basically a tribute to Slow Dive, and um, so it seemed. I think for us, it seemed like that we were kind of getting more respect from the electronic side of things for a while, and um, you know that was sort of interesting, really, because we, you know, we were obviously more a guitar band, although Pete Mayan came, I suppose, more from a sort of ambient electronic kind of world in, in itself. 
Well, not, not to address you like you've been frozen for 20 years, but aside from marketing, which we could be glib about, what, 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 what are you noticing at the shows themselves? I mean, the dumb uh, idea that I'm reaching for is, you know, people photographing your performance versus listening to your performance. I mean, I go to shows now, you know, <laughs> someone like Jack White, I don't know, you know, Jack is on this crusade. Yeah. He yells at people, literally. I, I, you know, he played a show at, Mad at Radio, I think it was Radio City or Madison Square Garden on the last show. He actually walked off the stage after a half an hour. He was so angry at people using their yeah. phones. Now, that may be an extreme, but what are you noticing in the ethos of, of the audiences themselves? Now, again... Can I mean, to be... Go on, please. To be fair, I haven't, I haven't noticed it too much. I mean, maybe that's just because I just haven't noticed and I do spend a lot of time looking down at my shoes. <laughs> um, but it may be... I mean, it's definitely... It is weird when you see that at gigs. I've I definitely noticed it when I've been to other people's shows and watched other bands and sort of having to kind of watch through the kind of sea of of people holding their phones up and yeah I mean it's I don't know what you can say about it it's, it's a weird you know obviously you just want people to experience the moment and not necessarily record the moment to experience later or record the moment for other people to experience and you, you hope that people are, are, are kind of at a gig and enjoying that moment because that's sort of what it's all about, obviously. But, um, well, well, it's yeah. inter well, it's interesting. We had, um, I had, you were talking about Sonic Youth, uh, Thurston Moore. I just interviewed Thurston Moore for the show. And we, I, we, for some reason, we came upon, we were talking about Pink Floyd. Um, and I was telling him that the, one of the last uh, iterations of Pink Floyd, I actually saw their last show in North America. And at some point when, when Floyd is playing Dark Side yeah. of the Moon, they literally turn off all the stage light. And it's them in silhouette, and you're watching. It's like watching yeah. an orchestra score a movie. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I was thinking about that with you in your work. I mean, it's funny because when you perform, you have to be generous. But and, and Thurston said to me, "That's how I would like to do every show." He said, "Put me in darkness, just let me play." Yeah, is that a fantasy? <laughs> I mean, is that he was? Yeah, he was being cheeky about it, but. Is, is, you know, it, it actually, it's weird. We we had a conversation with our lighting engineer like recently, where we were just asking him to turn the lights down as much as possible. And I can understand that. I mean, like definitely for us, the music is a really immersive thing, and it kind of sometimes it feels like like it would be nice to just um, to. To, yeah, to be in in the dark and to have this kind of, you know, just be fully immersed, you know. So I, we're definitely not too um, pop starry about what we do, I think. Um, you know, and I think possibly, like, back in the day, we were kind of, we got some criticism for that, for kind of literally trying to disappear off the stage. Um, yeah. Well, you know, to rat you out a little bit more, as, as just a couple more beat changes here with Neil Halstead of Slow Dive, um, uh, a, a bird told me, and I don't mean bird in the English sense, like a, a young lady. I'm talking about, a I think, a bird. Um, I've watched too much Benny Hill as a child. Um, you're a big, big Lebowski fan. And I only rat you out on that uh, because, A, we like to talk about movies. B, I'm always surprised at how many unique fans of that film there are. We did a show with Talib Kweli, amazing uh, 
artist, and he loves that film. And there's so many really interesting, diverse artists. Is that A, is that true? And please tell me it is. And B, what is it about Big Lebowski, just to take a left turn here, that you, you, you love so much? I'd, I'd been staying at, so I was staying in Berlin in the Trueberger Hotel, which has the Big Lebowski playing 24 hours a day. <laughs> and so I do love the movie. Um, that sounds like one, a special and, layer of hell, actually. No, you know, and I love that movie, but 24 hours a day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I think, like, um, I mean, I, I suppose for me, it's just, it's, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Coen Brothers anyway, but it's, it's just one, it's one of those films that, that um, it's just really funny and it has a great soundtrack and the characters are brilliant. Like um, Walter is like this <laughs> sort of brilliantly what? crazed kind of neo, I don't know what he is, neoconservative <laughs> yes. mili- militarist character. Me- meets Hunter S. And, Thompson, uh, yes, right, exactly. Yeah. Sorry? Meets Hunter S. Thompson. You know, uh, he's kind of a gonzo. Yeah, yeah he's genius. Uh, uh, he's John Goodman gonzo. is genius. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And yeah. I did. Um, I like. I mean, I drank a lot of White Russians because of, because of this film. <laughs> Caucasians. <basically. laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, and and maybe this is a firm grasp of the obvious, but you know, I was thinking about um, some of the great artists we've mentioned. I was I've been thinking about Kevin Shields a lot, uh, and I'm thinking about. My first introduction, uh, you know, I wasn't a kind of, I wasn't a that kid in high school. I didn't, I didn't really listen to goth or shoegaze or what, what have you. But you know, my first real sophisticated introduction to those genres were Sofia Coppola films. I know that sounds really odd, but you know, yeah, um, okay, yeah, Lost in Translation and Marie Antoinette are two of the real exquisite templates. What about you in scoring a film? A, would you have a do you have a yeah. deep, deep interest in that? Because I could, I'm not saying it's with Sophia per se, although I think Sophia is wonderful. And I don't know if you know Brian Reitzel. Do you know Brian Reitzel, um, who who works on Sophia? I don't know. He he's the the music supervisor for um, Sophia, and what he does is really interesting. Before okay. before she writes a script, he makes her a mixtape. So a lot of the soundtracks yeah. of the movies are really, like, the DNA is truly music. So I guess the question is, what about taking a turn as a, as a composer or someone scoring to a picture? Does that sound reductive, or does that sound uh, like a great paintbrush to be able to paint with? No, I mean, I think I'd love, love to do it. I mean, and I think so Life would be, you know, we did actually do a film, like, way back when a friend of ours had made a film called the Elephant, called I'm the Elephant, You're the Mouse, and we did the whole soundtrack to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I actually, one of my favorite soundtracks is the, the Virgin Suicides one, which is... Uh, which is Air, yeah. yeah. We've had Nico go down on yeah, the show. Which, yeah, amazing. which is... Amazing. Yeah, which is great. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it 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 would be something that we 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 would be really into doing, I think. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a lot of work, I imagine. You know. Well, as I always, you know, we had Moby on the show, and I said uh, he had done the soundtrack to uh, Southland Tales. And I asked him, what did you learn from doing that? He said, I learned that I never want to do a fucking soundtrack again. You know, because, and one of the, well, one of the limitations is time. You know, a filmmaker may say, I need a 30 second cue or a 20 second cue. But 
conversely, talking about Arcade Fire, Will Butler, who's done great scoring of Spike Jones films, you know, some artists love the rigidity of time. You know, it's like a great track. Yeah, he did, uh, yeah. Her. He did her, yeah, he did her. Okay, yeah, it was great. Well, you know, leave your resume yeah, with I mean, me, I think... and I'll, I'll circulate it, Neil. I mean, you know, I'll get you, I'll get you some it, work, yeah. and 15%, that's not unreasonable, I don't think. Do you? <laughs> we were talking to Clint Mansell, actually, a while, a while back. He came to one of the Slow Life shows, and uh, yeah, he, he, he did the, uh, I mean, he's done so many great soundtracks. He's amazing, and, yeah. Yeah. We, we, I was like saying to him, maybe you can just slide one our way at some point, you know, if you're too busy. Yeah. Well, you, Neil, you know, um, I, I just want to thank you, A, and I, I hate congratulations because, uh, you know, it's not a word that I think is suitable because I think you, 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 you've, you've always been on this journey, but I think the music is amazing and I wish you all the best, man. Um, and there are people in the States who love your work and, uh, you know, now you're seeing it for the first time or maybe again and you all all good things uh your way my friend thank you for being with us today really appreciate it well, well thank you yeah, nice talking to you tonight i really appreciate it cool Ch- cheers man and maybe we'll see you in the states uh, uh best of luck with the tour thank you very rough take care cheers. i think i should have said nighty night
So if you think that any guest, every guest, Christopher Guest, (laughs) I don't, sorry, uh, would stay up, uh, would be up in London or England or UK or anywhere else at midnight that time to do a talk, that you're mistaken. It was incredibly generous of Neil. Um, And yes, he was probably in his pajamas, his footy pajamas, um, but incredibly nice and cool and the album is really great and it's it's definitely true you know if if i had taken their new record and placed it 22 years previous right after the the one they left us with it's it's exact it's really cool about the chronology it fits right in and you wouldn't think it's a different band because it's not i also got the feeling there's also kind of young energy off of him in the music and even though you know there it's hard sometimes you know when you're talking to someone over skype or phone but i definitely feel and neil and i have uh, texted a few times he's such a good guy and i think the energy of of everything around slow dive now is 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 making it possible to be around right now. And this is something we've kind of talked about. It, it really is the way, you know, f- certain artists move through space and time in different ways and re-enter. And also, you know, and I mean this, let's just take it clinically for a second. Slow Dive is not the Rolling Stones. What I mean is, you know, or The Who, or some other band, you know, I'm trying to think. Well, look, if the Smiths reunited, and that's on everyone's dream wish list or maybe not you know it's on mine or I think I took I took it off because I'm scared too scared I'm I'm equally scared of the new Blade Runner although I love the filmmaker but if the Smiths came back together you know Morrissey and Johnny Marr have lived you know different lives and the, the Smiths were different than Slow Dive so Slow Dive it was it's almost like that 22 years was suspended in animation and that's cool and that's what's so rare so I do think Neil and Rachel and Slow Dive coming back after 22 years is is very unique it's a very unique circumstance and that's why I reached out to them and wanted to speak with Neil and he was so gracious to accept it's a very unique circumstance to come back in, in at the right time I, one of my favorite questions to ask guests or question to ask a guest is, do you think you were born at the right time? And most guests, I will say on a knee-jerk level, say yes. I, I I think that's a question, the more you think about it, the 
the more complicated the response is. But for Slow Dive, I do think this is a great time. You know, I I remember once I said to a student, it was the end of class and it was a wonderful group of students and some of the students and I were reminiscing and I said to one of them, I said, you know, sometimes I feel like I was born at the wrong time. Later, about a week later, he gave me a gift. It was a book and inside the book, he said to me, uh, it's inscribed, perhaps you and I were born at the wrong time, but I'm confident we've met at the right time. So that's really it. You know, what time is it now? And, you know, now is never the wrong time. <laughs> you know? Now is everything. Can ha- Everything happens now. No, I'm not about to play a Van Halen song. But everything is possible now. I think I have mixed feelings about now because I think too many people are living too much in the now, forsaking the future, forsaking the past. And I've struggled with that because I haven't struggled with that. I've struggled with the now, living in the now. But I feel like I'm in the now. I feel like a lot of young people are living in the now. But what I try to do with my now is balance it with what happens next, what's come before. I'm not trying to sound righteous. I just think that the present tense is not free of responsibility. The present tense with context is power. And I think now is a great time for Slow Dive and for Neil, and I hope it's a great time for you. I want to thank Neil Halstead of Slow Dive for being with us. I want to thank you for listening to us every week. W-H-U-P-L-P. You can listen to us evergreen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Christopher Guest will be our guest live in a few weeks, but we're going to replay. We're going to play that audio. So fear not. Also, Donnie Yen, we're going to play that audio for you on the show. MurmurRadio.com. ModernSchoolFilm.com. hundred thousand years ago a caveman was out hunting on the frozen wastes when he slipped and fell into a crevasse in 1988 he was discovered by some scientists and thawed out he then went to law school and became unfrozen caveman lawyer he used to be a caveman but now he's a lawyer Assassin. When you can't bear to put him to sleep, maybe it's time to call Dog Assassin. And by Big Fat Bean. Why eat hundreds of little beans when you can eat one big one? And by Clyde Baxter. If you're on his jury, won't you please vote not guilty? Clyde would appreciate it. And now, tonight's episode of Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Mr. Keyrock, are you ready to give your summation? It's just Key Rock, Your Honor, and yes, I'm ready. Thank you. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. (laughs) 
I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW and run off into the hills or whatever. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. But there is one thing I do know. When a man, like my client, slips and falls on a sidewalk in front of a public library, then he is entitled to no less than $2 million in compensatory damages and $2 million in punitive damages. Thank you. The jury will now retire to deliberate. Your Honor, we don't need to retire. Keyrock's words are... Just as true now as they were in his time. We give him the full amount. Did you hear that, Mr. Keyrock? Hang on a second. I I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was listening to the magic voices coming out of this strange modern invention. This has been Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Join us next week for another episode. Here's a scene. Stewardess, could you give me another drink? I'm sorry, sir, but the chief steward says you've already had enough. But you don't understand. I need this drink. I'm a caveman, and I'm frightened by your strange flying machine. So get me another douche and water punch, okay? I'm sorry, sir. Listen, I'll sue you and your whole crummy airline! Next time on Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer...